Welcome to NOPC. New Orleans the- Podcast. Ah, hey. <laughs> I said it that time. Yeah. And we're here. We have another great show. We have trivia. We have news. We have beer. We have beer. That's why I come. It's in my contract. And entertainment. (laughs) Oh, and entertainment. So uh, let's get started with the trivia. Yeah. Today's trivia question. Today's trivia question is, what is the highest grossing movie that was filmed in New Orleans? Would you like to give a hint? Well, it's the sixth highest grossing film of all time. So it just made the sixth highest amount of money all time of any films ever made. And also, uh, in the year that it was made, it was only the second highest. So that just shows you that there was a really, you know, another top five film made the same year. So think about that. Shot in New Orleans. Sounds a lot of hints. Yep. We're here to try some exciting beer. What do we have today? We have uh, three beers from uh, Parish Brewing. Parish Brewing is out of Broussard, Louisiana. So it's not, not it's another one not from New Orleans, but it's a Louisiana beer. So uh, the ones we have here are South Coast, Envie, and Canebrake. Now, I've had Canebrake before, and that is one of my go-to beers. And you can find that all over town, draft, bottle, you know, usually draft. So Yeah. But uh, we'll open these up, and we'll start talking a little bit about yeah, I think it's pretty uh, surprising when you told me that this is the second biggest brewery in Louisiana. Behind, obviously, Abita, who uh, we talked about in one of our other shows. So, and you know, look at these sort of purple, green, and gold, these beers. Yeah. But, uh, these guys started a brewery uh, in that uh, one of the, the owners, he moved to Pittsburgh, and he saw there's a bunch of craft breweries there. A few years later, he moved back here to Louisiana, and he said... Why don't we have more of these craft breweries? Why don't we have more of these small breweries? And that's when he started this, and he made Cane Break first. Cane Break is still their most popular one, and uh, it's the one that you know sells the best. But since we both know we like Cane Break, we'll go ahead and each get our own bottle. <laughs> oh yeah, I do enjoy Cane Break. They, that is good. That is a really good beer. It's not. I think this is a good beer if you wanted to get into beer, and you know, because beer is kind of an acquired taste. Sure. And this is like a good beer if you want to start drinking beer. It's not too too hoppy, and it's got a little sweetness to it. Yeah. And up until 2012, they their brewery was really small. They didn't you know they they put a lot out there regionally, but in 2012 they just. They built a new brewery, and now they're, they became the second biggest. They're, they're, they're brewing a lot more now. And they came out with some other ones. In Louisiana, they're known for cane break. But they're really putting their stamp all around the country with uh, Ghost in the Machine, uh, which is, what did I, what did I call that? Uh, Ghost in the Machine, and their other ones are called Juice Bomb IPAs. Yeah, Juice Bomb IPA. And I'd never heard of a juice bomb IPA so I had to go look look it up <laughs> and what it is it's an IPA essentially from what I get and I'm not a beer maker that has a lot of juice in it they make it with juice pulp uh, they have a they have a few different ones and you can check out the website uh, and I have pictures of some up on the screen right now they're, they're selling it all over the country and it seems to be more popular than cane break in other parts of the country really so juice bomb IPA just real quickly a definition is a hazy golden unfiltered IPA the low bitterness and late hopping showcases the citrusy juicy notes that many American hops contain. Juice Bomb features all the aspects and nuances of full pop, hop flavor, not just bitterness, providing an upfront, easy drinking beer. 
If I would have known about this before, I would have gotten one of their juice bombs because I don't. I'm not a fan of IPAs, but that sounds like a less bitter IPA that's juicy. Yeah, than just it's so. just that IPA taste that you hate so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one other one I would have gotten if I saw saw it before is they have a strawberry. I think cane break. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, I do like strawberry beers. So. It seems like a lot of the Louisiana breweries always at least have one strawberry beer. Oh, it's because, I guess, you know, we grow a lot of strawberries around here. So, yeah. So we have a taste for it, and it's probably cheap and easy to get. So uh, let's talk about the ones that we have here. King Break, they're best-selling since 2010. Uh, and a refreshing American wheat is what it says. Easy and highlights honey-sweet remnants of Louisiana sugarcane, citrus, uh, so it's made from, you know, obviously cane break. That's the other thing we have here. So they're doing strawberries and cane together. Strawberry cane break seems like a natural for our state. And it's such like a smooth word. I really like that title, cane break. Now, South Coast. Wearing my LSU shirt, we'll use an LSU shot glass this time. Yes. So we've got the South Coast. And what uh, you can have the shot. Unless, okay. Unless I don't like it, then I'll give you the bottle. <laughs> South Coast is a smooth, clean, delicately hoppy and malty. Basically, everything you could want in a beer, evenly balanced between noble hops and delicious malts. They like adjectives. Noble hops, delicious. Noble hops. hops. What makes it this noble? Amber. So it's an amber. <laughs> isn't too strong or too rich to prohibit consuming several in a session. So they're telling you drink a bunch. So <laughs> so it's not too strong and it's not too heavy for you. So. Hey, make it in a can. I'll shotgun it. I guess that's what they're telling me. It's a shotgun. It's a beer. funnel beer. I think they do have it in cans. Uh, so this is the deep south. After all, they're saying so. You know, to drink a bunch. So all right. Cheers, Here we go. South Coast. Now I'm a nickel steak guy, but I'll take a shot at LSU. It's an amber. I like it. Yeah, it is it's a very good amber. So it's very light too. Envy. Envy. This delicious pale ale is juicy, hazy, and crushable. 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 Is that telling us to drink a bunch again? <laughs> do we smash it in yeah. the bottle on our head? <laughs> a totally new school take on an old American craft beer. Envy is first. Is it Envy or Envy? I think it is. I mean, it says Envy, right? Yeah, it looks like Envy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how they say it down the bayou. Yeah. Envy. It's bursting with glorious hop aromas or mango. Liche orange and other tropical fruits this beer pulls from incredible feet of having the best juicy quality of hops but none of the harsh bitter finish you may be used to here i'll do the shot this time you <laughs> read the description <laughs> took the shot so, um, so, so i just show the camera the color of that so it's a lot of lighter color than the other two um and so let's try it out it's fruity maybe probably Mm, that's an interesting taste. It's interesting. It's it, I like it. I like the other two better. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not a bad beer. If I got this in a set, I, I would enjoy it. But I think Cane Break is my favorite still. Yes. And we do have the purple, green, and gold. So uh, it's good to crush a bunch of these during Mardi Gras season. Yes. But one you should probably not crush a lot is their specialty drink at 14%. Yes. It's uh, Maple Shade. Maple Shade is a stout. Maple Shade is a barrel-aged stout, uh, aged in bourbon barrels for 13 months, and uh, re- re-fermented on Vermont maple syrup and finished with Reve coffee. <laughs> so um, I didn't see that in the store. <laughs> I will be looking for that in the store. It comes in, and you can see on the screen right now, it comes in a really nice black bottle with black labeling. It's 
It looks good. Yeah. So it sounds good. So we'll try that next time. You hopefully. might only want to drink one, maybe two. <laughs> uh, they do have a, a tap room. Uh, they have events going on in the tap room, which you know you can see on the screen right now, the events that they have coming up. And, um, you know, if you're interested, you can go out there and do a tour, go to the tap room. Uh, it's all the way from New Orleans. So make a day out of it down there in Cajun land. You know, try, try a few beers and, you know, pick up some boudin. <laughs> yeah, and uh, take a picture and... Hashtag NOPC. Yes, please. Hashtag NOPC. And, and, and let them know, hey, I heard about you on NOPC. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, well. well cheers. cheers. Some good beer. All right. And we are back. And this is kind of a special episode because this is kind of a special time for New or- people of New Orleans. Is it's the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. That 14 years. Arco. 14 years ago. And we're both New Orleans natives. We both went through it. We didn't mm-hmm. know each other at the time. We have our different stories. He was a lot younger. I had a family. And, uh, you know, and I lost my house. I had a female trailer in my yard for a year. So living here in New Orleans. So, um, you know, it, it, it was a hard time. And then looking back on it, sometimes, you know, I get upset. I get sad. I may may cry. You know things like that. Not not right now. <laughs> because this is a, a podcast about good things that happen. And so, uh, before we get into the good things, I just wanted to sort of highlight an article that was written written right after Katrina by New York Times, and it sort of just shows how clueless people all over the country or maybe even the world are about who we are in New Orleans and what type of people we are. Because he was offering advice saying these are the things we need to do to recover and make New Orleans right again. You know, pretty much he was saying New Orleans was a shithole before Katrina and now we have a chance to fix it. He says Katrina was a natural disaster that interrupted a social disaster. It separated tens of thousands of poor people from the rundown, isolated neighborhoods in which they were trapped. It disrupted the patterns that have led one generation to follow another into poverty. And I take offense at that in that, I mean, my neighborhood, I was actually the only one who, who, who got displaced and had problems. But most of the people in New Orleans that live in these neighborhoods, they're not trapped there. It's not like they're, they're trying to get out of there and trying to get out of poverty to move to a different yeah. part of town. What they want is their part of town where they grew up, where their culture is, and all the people they know, they want their neighborhood to be better. Safer, yeah. better schools, better stores. So this guy's clueless in thinking that no, they're trapped in the ninth ward, and now they have their way out, and they don't want to go back to the ninth ward. Well, it's always those people that you know don't know what they're talking about are outside criticizing someone else. You know, yes. you don't know what that person's life story is or what's going on. And we here in New Orleans know New Orleans. We know what it's like to be a New Orleanian, and. Other people just don't get it. That's why we get along better with other New Orleans. Or when you go someplace else, you feel out of sorts. You feel like you don't belong because in New Orleans, we're, we're just a different different type of person. We're yeah. nicer. We're nicer. But, you know, we respect our neighborhoods and respect our culture. And we resent that people want to come in here and just sort of disrupt our culture because they said it's going to be a better life for these people. It's like, no, we can make a better life, but re- preserve our things. He went on to say the first rule of rebuilding effort should be nothing like before. Most of the ambitious and organized people abandoned the inner city areas of New Orleans a long, long time ago. In these neighborhoods, it's they're less intelligent because they're poor. We're, we're losing ambitious people because they're poor. So I just I don't I don't 
respect what this guy is saying. I don't agree with what this guy yeah. is saying. And I'm, I'm thinking what we need to do is build up these areas and not sort of just assume that they need more people and other people to come in. Because uh, he goes on to say, the only chance we have to break the cycle of poverty is to integrate people who lack middle class skills into neighborhoods with people who possess these skills who insist on certain standards of behavior. So that's a weird sentence. <laughs> well, it's a weird sentence, but what he's saying is that, and I guess he's trying to be politically correct by saying that the people that live in these poor neighborhoods, they don't know how to be middle class. Yeah, they that's kind of the part where I'm saying that's a weird sentence yes. that he's like trying to, it's kind of like that when someone says no offense. But offense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's saying that, you know, poor people don't know how to act in, in, in polite society or, or, or in society at all. So you need some middle class people in there to sort of learn them how, yeah. how, to, how to be better people in their in their area. And people and, it, and that the middle class people are the ones that are going to insist on having better schools and better stores and better things like that. And that's just a load of crap. Mm hmm. Uh, you know these people want these things, and you know they strive for these things also. So, and I think that's sort of a code for saying, "Hey, let's gentrify these neighborhoods." That's what it sounds like is a, is a key to his plan to save New Orleans. Oh, just, he goes on and just sort of proves my point even more. The key will be to luring middle class, luring which is candy, <laughs> luring middle class families into the rebuilt city, making it so attractive to them that they will move in, even knowing their blocks will include a certain number of poor people. So he's talking about mixed housing, but he's also once again talking about gentrifying these neighborhoods. Yeah, that that sounds, that's kind of scary when it's like, but they have to get used to these poor people, you yeah. know? It's like, it's like, what are we going to mark each door and being like, well, you don't make... You don't make fifty thousand a year. You yeah. get a max mark. <laughs> we'll we'll give y'all some deals to come live next door to the poor people because you know you don't like them. Yeah, and you know they're gonna rob you and they're dumb. You yeah, know? I mean, so that that's that's what he's saying. That's a problem that I have with that, and also with this um, gentrification. But also, you see what happened. This was in two thousand five that he wrote this. So I think going forward, and, and realizing what's going on now, they turned into Airbnbs. They, they're building the neighborhood gets a little safer. They start building up the neighborhood, uh, gentrifying it, and then all of a sudden, half the places are Airbnbs. So the people that live there, they can't afford there because their property is worth more. And they didn't own the property in the first place. A lot of the poor people they rented, and the people that yeah. own those properties are selling them, or turning them into Airbnbs, and making a lot more money, chasing these poor people out of their neighborhoods to where a poor neighborhood. So this guy's plan, if it was carried out to the fullest extent would be even worse than it is now for the poor people of New Orleans. We're not having it mixed, poor people and rich people. Yeah. You know, back and forth. But there are silver linings to, you know, what came after Katrina. And, and you know, one of the points is, yes, we had a lot of problems in this city and we didn't have money to fix these problems. And Katrina, you know, sort of gave us a clean slate in a lot of things. Definitely. You know, I mean, maybe we didn't take advantage of a lot of them. You know, we'd say, oh, we can fix our education. We can fix our infrastructure. We know that's not the case because of the flooding and the cars that have probably been in the drain since Katrina. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, but it brought the spotlight onto New Orleans in that, hey, levees were being fixed. They, you know, they, they realized that we had an inadequate system there. They um, realized that the Mr. Go had to be closed. Mm-hmm. You because know, you know people in Chalmette and all that. And Mr. Go was just a horrible story with the flooding and everything that came up through that. And also, it shined a spotlight on the importance of the wetlands to preserving our coastline. Definitely. So, granted, maybe 
everything's not being done that could be done to fix everything, but it wouldn't have been done at all if not for Katrina. Economically, our city's doing better. We have more restaurants and music venues in this town than we ever had. Mm -hmm. uh, Mardi Gras, Jazz Fest, Essence Fest, and all these other festivals, French Quarter Fest, they're all setting record numbers the last few years of people coming to these festivals. Well, that's what I was going to say. It seems like we got such a big spotlight. I mean, the, the Saints get talked about now and yeah. sports shows. Uh, we get more Super Bowls. We get more WrestleManias and all kinds of big events now. Because it put that spotlight on us. And we are attracting a lot more young, educated people to come to this city. Uh, I mean, that's a big thing we need to do is figure out how to get big companies here because we can't sustain ourselves being a tourist town on service industry because those aren't the wages that we want here. Mm -hmm. uh, we want we want higher paid people, uh, young people to come here. In New Orleans, we have different neighborhoods and different cultures, but we all get along and respect each other's neighborhoods and cultures and celebrate them all. Mm -hmm. And other cities just don't understand that, uh, that, that, that we have that type of mentality here. <laughs> and if you've traveled around, you do realize that here in New Orleans, we're a lot nicer people. Uh, but some other things that are, you know, the French Quarter. Has always been the same, you know. The Katrina really didn't affect that, uh, but Frenchman Street has just taken off. Yeah, I mean, some people resented saying Frenchman Street was cool before. Now it's a bunch of tourists going to Frenchman Street. Go to Ferret. Go to other streets. Go to other venues. There's music all over this town. Like I just said, we have more music venues than ever. Uh, Magazine Street is you know, really the most popular in the hub of shopping now. Just walk up and yeah, down Magazine small town, small stores. Yeah, and it was never like that before. Uh, Magazine did have small stores, but I remember there'd be sections that you hit, you know, between, you know, uh, going further down towards Audubon Zoo and all in Magazine, where it was kind of scary, you know. Uh, they would close down stores and, you know, boarded up buildings. And now, you know, no, they're, they're little stores all up and down Magazine Street, bringing money into the city and just changing things. So, uh, you know, we, we are doing fine after Katrina. Okay, next thing we want to talk about, uh, actually, is Essence Festival's here. We, we covered Essence Festival last week. And the New Orleans Police Department has a new badge. Tell them about it. Yeah, they have a rainbow badge that they're going to be wearing this weekend during Essence Fest to show their support for Essence Fest. pretty cool. I kind of hope they raffle a few off. I know there's probably some laws against Yeah, it's having a badge. Is it having a badge? But they actually look pretty cool. EMS has them also. Oh, I yeah? Saw that. Yes, EMS. And they actually started this um, in the summer. I don't know what the event was, but it was another gay pride event that they had uh, over the summer. And that's when they first commissioned these badges for police officers to wear if they wanted to wear these. Now, the, the only problem I have with this is that if a police officer is walking through, you know, some of the clubs, you know, down on St. Anne in the heart of Essence Festival, and a guy sees them, you know, wearing a badge with the with the with the rainbow colors on it, they may question, is that a real badge? They may question, ooh, it's a stripogram. <laughs> you know, and, and they'll start dancing on the policeman and grabbing his billy club and, you know, and, and that may not be nice. So. Yeah, that's why tasers were invented. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so I hope uh, the tourists that are in town realize that, nope, those are real policemen and they're just, you know, showing their support for, you no. Know, 
Yeah. For Southern Decadence and Gay Pride. Make sure that you know that they're not strippers. Yes. (laughs) If you you reach for their weapon, they will not be happy. (laughs) Okay, I guess that's a wrap for news. That's a wrap for news. Now we're on entertainment, and this movie is a pretty interesting Wait, one. Drink. Uh. <laughs> I'm actually out of beer. Which one did you hate? <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> I didn't hate any of them. Uh, I just have preferences. Positive podcast. You want to do the clock of beer again? <laughs> so, no, but, um, so uh, we're good. So we're moving forward now in entertainment. You're telling us about? Yes. Uh, there's a movie called Cat People that was filmed here in New Orleans. And when I watched the trailer, I was a little confused. Yes, I watched, I watched the entire movie. I saw it years ago. It's a 1982 movie uh, starring uh, Natasha Kinski, uh, Malcolm McDowell, Annette O'Toole, Ed Bigley Jr., who has an awesome scene where he gets his arm ripped off by a panther. Right, right here. Watch it. There's Ed Bagley getting his arm ripped off. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I like how um, I like how he strapped it to him so he couldn't. <laughs> so he no one's go there. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and also in the movie is John Larroquette uh, from Night Court fame, but he's you know a famous okay. actor from New Orleans. So they did have some local talent in there, but you know he's an Emmy Award winning uh, local actor, John Larroquette. So um, the movie was uh, budgeted for $18 million, and it grossed uh, cumulative uh, overseas and, well, worldwide, it made $7 million. So it was not a successful movie. No. <laughs> no. But it was nominated for some awards. Oh, really? Uh, yes. And um, you know, it was nominated for Best Original Score. And also, David Bowie wrote the title track for the movie, which played in the credits and also played right here. I'm going to play the trailer just so they can yeah, see so what can about. understand what the movie's about. And, and David Bowie's song's in this.
Yes, I had the same dreams. See these eyes so green. think you were ready, but you are. I knew it when I saw you with him. Your whole body burns. I'm not like you! You tell yourself that it's love, but it isn't. It's blood. Death. So this is a very interesting love story. There's a little horror behind it. Yes, it's a love story with an edge. You know? <laughs> and, 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 uh, and so uh, the story is about, and you may have caught some of this from, from but it's a little confusing from watching the it. The trailer. But, yeah, but what it is, it's a woman who uh, moves to New Orleans and she meets her brother. I think it's for the first time she was raised by a foster family, so she didn't know her real parents. But it turns out that her and her brother might be the last two of the cat people. In that the only people that they can mate with are other cat people. Otherwise, when they mate with these people, they turn into a leopard or uh, like that and they kill people. And so she falls in love with another character. But uh, let me get back to this. Irina Paul, descend from a line of cat people. So that's her brother, Paul. He's known about this. And he realizes that if he has sex with somebody, he turns into a cat person. The only way to turn back into a human is to kill something. Kill somebody. So Paul hangs with hookers. Yeah. Yeah. And she didn't know this about herself because she's a virgin. So she's a virgin. But she falls in love with the, you know, the guy at the zoo. And... No, she has to tell him that, hey, we, we can't do it. You yeah. know, if we do it, I'm going to kill you. You know, so uh, eventually they do, do do it. The devil's tango. Yes. And she manages to get away before she, you know, turns totally in and, and, and you know, has to kill him. Uh, later in the movie, and this is where they had two versions of this movie, one for television and one for film. And at the end of the television version... You know, she, uh, she's about to jump off of the bridge. He tranks her, and then you cut to the Audubon Zoo. That's why I put the Audubon, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about movies and Audubon Zoo. Mm-hmm. And also, the trivia question. Another hint, it was shot in the Audubon Zoo. Parts of it. Not much of it, but parts of it were shot in the Audubon Zoo. But anyway, so, uh, you know, it was shot in the Audubon Zoo, and... Um, uh, you see him petting her, and she's being all affectionate through the gate. She's a leopard now, and you realize she's going to stay a leopard for the rest of her life because she, you know, he tranked her. In the movie version, which makes this movie 
erotic horror love story <laughs> is that she said, I you know, want to be with my kind. Uh, she decided she wants to be a leopard from here on out, but the only way to get back into that form is to do the, the devil's dance, as you were saying, Tango. <laughs> and so she tells him, we got to do it again. You got to tie me up and you, you're going to have to do it and then we're going to have to, you know, I'm going to stay this way forever. So he's, of course, saying, oh, yeah, I guess I can do that. <laughs> I can tie you up and do it. So he ties her up. They do the deed in a, in a scene in the movie that I cannot show here because yeah. we're, we're maybe not a family show, but we're not going there. <laughs> PG-13 show, probably. Yeah. And uh, I guess he tranks her. And then we cut to the same scene where TV ends, where she's in the cage as the leopard and he's he's a panther and he's you know, petting her and, you know, we realize she's going to stay that way forever. And I guess they can still have a relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's not bad. I mean, she's got three meals a day and yeah. And, and <laughs> no, he pets her. So, uh, so that's Capiable. But reason, another reason why I like Capiable, it's not just Audubon Zoo, but they, sh- they have scenes all over the city, uh, where they shoot. Um, other places they go in the city is they, they, they shoot uptown, they shoot on the streetcars, they shoot in restaurants, hotels. Uh, there's even you no know, scenes where they, they shoot by the spillway with the railroad tracks on the spillway. So they're shooting all over the city, highlighting the city. There's just mm-hmm. a montage of her. When she first gets to the city, she's going sightseeing. So, uh, you know, Cat People is beautifully shot. Uh, some websites I read talked about the cinematography and, and, and the beautiful interiors and the use of color and all those things in the movie. So, you know, it may not have made a lot of money, but you know, there was some respect for the movie and the soundtrack. And even she was nominated for a Saturn Award as Best Actress. Yeah, that's one of those good movies that didn't make a lot of money. Yes. Okay. So definitely go check it out. Yeah. Uh, but also about Cat People is the Audubon Zoo. If you see the movie, you'll realize it ain't our Audubon Zoo we have now. This is Audubon Zoo in the 80s. And you know, from these screen caps I have up right now, you'll see what the Audubon Zoo was like. These, where the lions and the tigers and where the animals stayed were really confined and small, not like we're used to now. Yeah, uh, Audubon bars. Z- yes, and back then, you know, our Audubon Zoo now is considered one of the best zoos in the world. Back then, not so much. They invested a lot of money, and now they have these big natural habitats, uh, you know, for the lions and the tigers, and they have the jaguar jungle. I think is the name of, of that section. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on on the zoo now, and the zoo looks a lot better looks looks better than ever now with the, with the things that they offer to us. Uh, but as a child of New Orleans, and I'm sure you're the same way, and I'm sure a lot of you, if, if you're from New Orleans, are the same way. When you walk into the zoo, you're probably humming this tune, the tune by by the meters, you know, the Ottoman Zoo, so they all asked for you. Yeah. Yes. And that's why I just brought this up as sort of a segue because I love this song. Uh, I, I've always loved this song. It's one of my favorite New Orleans songs ever. It makes me think of the zoo. It's think, it makes me think of when I was a kid singing along, know all the words to it. Grits with fish drippings, you know, I, we sing these songs and we know all the words. But I had the chance to uh, interview George Porter, who told us about the song. But before I, I do that, Zigaboo Modalist, which George Porter is going to talk about, wrote the song. And Zigaboo uh, Modalist, who's the drummer for the Meters, he was talking about how this joke was a, was, the song was a joke song. Uh, they recorded it. They really didn't want to do anything with it. They didn't plan on putting it in an al- on an album. But Alan Toussaint who was the producer, he put it on the album against, I guess, sort of against their wishes. 
but it worked out and they're happy it was on there and they realized that every kid from New Orleans that walks into the zoo they're humming that song they're tapping their mm-hmm. foot we all think about that but the song's not about Audubon Zoo the song is about not. something else <laughs> and when I had the, the pleasure to interview George Porter of the Meters I asked him I, because I said this song has been an important part of my childhood how did it come about and this is what he said that to the table um, and as he recalls as <clears throat> um, his, 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 his parents they um, used to have house parties and during the course of the evening you know at the end of the night they would you know they would there was this this music that would get sang this song would be they all asked for you but they was you know but they, they use you know Dirty words, you know. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't the monkeys. You know, there would be the monkeys. You know, wrecked them. You know, so so it would be. You know, but it would be. The, you know, instead of like we say, the monkeys ask. It wouldn't be ask. It would be the other word. You know, and you know, and so that's that's the way that song originated in Zig's mind as he remembered it, and he he taught it to the rest of us. Uh, wow, I think my childhood might be a little ruined. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, the monkey's derriere, the no chicken's derriere. Yeah. <laughs> the derrieres are asking for you. So. Okay, so um, yeah, great song, but we'll talk more about Mardi Gras music. And that's not necessarily a Mardi Gras song, it's not a Mansu song, but I think Mardi Gras too when I hear I think song. it's in the top three New Orleans songs. Like, I still think Saints Go Marching In is maybe number one. Yeah, uh, do, do you know what it means to miss New Orleans? You know, yeah. Satchmo. Yeah, but there's yeah, there's a lot of uh, New Orleans is a great place. For, we have so many songs, but we'll come we'll get to that in another episode. So we're done with the news. We're done with the entertainment. Uh, so what do we have left? We just have some more trivia. Here's the trivia answer. Uh, so we're back with the trivia question. In case you didn't know what the trivia question was, is what is the highest grossing movie shot in New Orleans? And here's a here's a hint. It was not Cat People. No, it was not Cat People. It was a close. It was close to Cat People. It only made uh, like like two billion dollars more than Cat People. <laughs> uh, but the movie came out in 2015, and the movie in 2015 that made more money than it was Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. But this movie, which we just keep teasing it, did beat the uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron in the same year in 2015. And that movie is Jurassic World. Jurassic World. So there you have it. This is definitely a movie I need to go rewatch and try to find some more New Orleans parts. Yes, but you know, if you want to learn more about anything we talked about today, you can go to nolasum.com and check it out. We have a we have a, a blog that goes along with each of these podcasts. We'll have the audio podcast up on there also, so you can listen to it in your car, so you don't have to watch this stuff. But if you go to the webpage, we'll have links to the movie, the links to you know to the badge that we talked about. You can see a picture of it. So nolasum.com, jump on there, follow us on our social media also. But most importantly, if you're going to be talking about this and looking at this stuff, you got a hashtag 
our podcast. Hashtag NOPC or hashtag the New Orleans podcast. Yeah, so thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Next time. We're going to have a new episode, Saints kickoff, Monday night against the Texans. And we're, we're bringing an expert. Yes, we're bringing an expert. And the entire podcast is going to be Saints-centric. We're going to do Saints news. We're going to do Saints entertainment. We're going to do do it all. We're even going to drink Saints beer. Well, so yeah. It's our special Saints episode. Who that? So if you're a Falcons fan, you can watch, but you will be jealous like you always are. Comedy After Party, September 7th, 8 o'clock at the House of Soul. Okay? Tickets online, Eventbrite. So make sure you check us out. I got me and my girl, Smiley. I got Ed Black. I got Mark Caesar and, and, and Montrell. Yeah. Can I say fuck? I don't know if I can say fuck, but I'm going to say it. Y'all come fuck with the show. It's the After Party Comedy Show. I call this the hurricane or the tornado. Whatever storm that's sent. That's what I'm calling it. The tsunami. Y'all come to this comedy show. Come to this comedy show. Because y'all already know smiley. I like big boys. Where you at, big boys? Big husky. Wait, who the fuck you asking for big boys? I'm right here. It's Ed Black. It's the comedy after party. And it's going down September 7th at the House of Soul. Okay? If you do not know where the House of Soul at, put it in your GPS. Okay? It's a comedy after party. So after the comedy, we want y'all to come cut up with us. That's it. Come cut up with us September the 7th. After Party Comedy Show. I got pre-sale tickets in the event right. Google New Orleans Comedy After Party, all right? Follow me on Instagram, A20 Black.